There's an app for that. I was in Chicago over uh, Christmas, and uh, I'll tell you, I made use of some apps on my iPhone. Uh, like, uh, we were traveling, and imagine this, I needed a cup of coffee, desperately. <laughs> and guess what? Starbucks has an app for that. And uh, I was wondering what the weather forecast was going to be, and we got an app for that also. Uh, Cindy and I, we uh, wanted to rent some movies from Blockbuster, and we got to the Blockbuster that we normally go to up there, and uh, it's closed down. Well, guess what? There is an app for that, too. And uh, we got our movies. Uh, we were in IKEA shopping, and uh, I guess I'm getting at that age where it's like, okay, there's something else we need. And so I've got this... Uh, app that's called Grocery IQ, and so I'd put stuff in uh, prior to us going up there. So I got my list. You know, they're, they're apps, they're, they're all over, over the place. And um, we uh, wanted to go to a movie one night, and there's this really cool app called uh, Showtime. It tells you the closest theater, it tells you what's showing, what time. We even watched a trailer. The trailer looked really good, the movie wasn't so good, but... Uh, an app. I was in Oakley, uh, and I heard this really cool song, and uh, Shazam is the app for that. We were in the restaurant waiting for food, waiting to, to uh, sit down and uh, get our seats, and there's an app for that, too. It's called Scrabble. And yes, my wife beats me. Anybody that knows me, I can't spell, so, but uh, I was in Starbucks, and I uh, was waiting in line, and this guy came in, he's trying to figure out where he's at, he's lost. Uh, I'm going to guess he was from another country, because uh, he's very limited with his English, and he asked several people, and I'm, I'm a nosy person, so I'm kind of paying attention, and uh, he's not getting the answer. So I stepped out of line, and I thought, I've got an app for that. <laughs> and uh, so I started trying to help him, and I'll be honest with you, it took us a little while to figure everything out, but finally we found the place, I was able to show him the map, and I got him on his way, and uh, I had, uh, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then I turned around to get back in line and realized I had been so focused on helping him that a bus had showed up, and it's about 30 deep, and there is not an app for that. <laughs> Now, the good thing is there's, there was a Starbucks about 600 yards away, so I just went to a different Starbucks. But uh, it's interesting. There are over 100,000 apps. Some of them are useful. Some of them are time savers. And some of them, honestly, they're just lame. They're, they're just, I don't know what people were thinking. And it got me thinking about some of the greatest apps that I know. And the greatest apps that I know come from God's Word. It's full of practical apps. It's full of things that can change your life. I mean, there, there are apps for relationships, whether it be your marriage or parenting or friendship. There, there are apps that help you manage your money. There are apps that will help you in your vocational life. There are apps that will help you take care of yourself, whether it be emotionally or physically or spiritually. There is an app in God's word for just about anything. And I would argue that those apps are life-changing. And so I thought what we would do for the next few weeks is look at some of the apps. And uh, to show you how plentiful 
they are. Because people go, I don't know, I don't understand God's word. I, I thought I would just limit our search. And we would look at one very small book. It's the book of Philippians. You know, the, the book of Philippians is actually a, a letter that was written to the church in Philippi that Paul wrote. And uh, this is a church that Paul had a hand in starting. And I'll give you kind of the skinny so that uh, this week we'll, we'll kind of set up uh, for, for the following weeks. But Paul is traveling from church to church throughout the Middle East. Uh, he is training leaders. He's encouraging people. He's setting up ministries. And he gets this prompting from God. The Holy Spirit kind of prompts him and says, Paul, I want you to ditch your carefully laid out itinerary. I want you to drop everything that you're doing. I want you to head to the seaport, and I want you to get on the first boat that's heading to Philippi. Now, Paul had never been there before, and he doesn't know why God's sending him there. But he complies with that, that prompting. He changes his plans. He boards the ship and he heads to Philippi. You know, there, there's something I've figured out in life, if you haven't figured this out yet, that when God prompts you, you better pay attention. I mean, when you discern that God really wants you to do something and that it's really from God, if you're pretty sure I got one suggestion for you, and that is get to it. Get to it. You, you do not know what you might miss in life if you do not. You know, pay attention to promptings in, in your life. God will prompt you from time to time. Pay attention to those. That's what Paul does. Paul heads to Philippi once he gets there. Again, he's not sure why he's there. But he gets there. He's kind of chilling out, sitting on the riverbank, maybe clearing his head, trying to figure out what the next move is. And I guess while he's waiting there, that he has another prompting. Because we're, we're told that a, a businesswoman goes strolling by, and he strikes up a conversation with her. And they start talking. And the conversation, when it comes to Paul, always heads to the same place. Several hours later, this woman knows that God loves her. This woman knows that Jesus Christ died for her, her sins. And she gives her life to, to Christ and to God, and she becomes a Christ follower and bends the rivers right there. Paul just baptizes her. This woman is extremely wealthy. She has a very large house, and she's really excited about her newfound faith and so she invites Paul and his ministry team to come and stay with her. You might say kind of like a bed and breakfast, but they had a purpose. Biblical scholars say that it is quite possible that that home was the first meeting place for the church at Philippi. And I was reading that, I thought about, it's kind of like faith fellowship. I mean, when we, were, we started out, we met in the Davis home. That was our humble beginnings. Interesting, Paul. Paul's been in Philippi one day. He has his first church member. He has a place to stay for him and his ministry team. And he's got a gathering place for his new church. I think that's a pretty good first day's work, don't you? Things go south from there. 
Paul is walking down the downtown area. He spots a woman that needs healing. I mean, desperately in need of healing. And I don't know if Paul laid his hands on her, but he prayed and she's healed. And it creates quite a ruckus. In fact, it creates such an uproar in town that Paul and his friend named Silas end up getting brutally beaten. They get arrested. They get thrown into to prison. And so Paul and Silas are kind of recovering from being beaten so bad for, for ministering in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they decide, here they are in this prison, they're going to sing praises to God, kind of like what we did earlier. And they're singing. Now, you have to get this in your mind. It's midnight. It's in a prison. These two guys, and I bet they couldn't sing very well, but they're singing. And suddenly, there is an earthquake. And we know it was a serious earthquake because it shakes the doors off the hinges of this prison. They have another prompting at this point. And the prompting is to stay, to not leave. So, so we got these two prisoners, Paul and Silas. They're in a prison. The door's wide open. And they obey God the best way they know how. And they just stay there. Prison warden, he figures Paul and Silas have busted out, that they've escaped. He's trying to figure out how to kill himself. He's going to commit suicide because he knows first thing in the morning, he will be executed for letting these guys escape. And so he is prepared to take his life. And then he is blown away when he gets to the cell, this open cell, and he realizes that they're still there. And then he begins to talk to them and realizes the reason why they're there was to save his life. And, and scripture says it broke him. I mean, it broke him. He's like, why would you do that? Here we go. This is Paul. Paul's one track. Well, because you matter to God. Because Jesus Christ died for you. Did you know that? And this prison warden gives his life to Jesus Christ. He becomes their second member in the church of Philippi. Later that night, we're told that his entire family give their lives to God. The church is growing now. And after some legal maneuvers and things, Paul and Silas end up being formally released. They head back home to the wealthy woman's house. They start preaching. They, they start teaching. They start encouraging this very young flock. And we're told that as the church is growing, that Paul and Silas have another prompting. It's time to move on. So they say their goodbyes, and they head to their next destination. Now, the reason why that's important is because Paul never forgot how the church at Philippi got started. He never forgot that. The, the fact is that he, that he remembered those promptings that, that changed his travel plans. He remembered getting aboard that ship heading to Philippi. He remembered that conversation that was God-ordained where he talked to the wealthy woman by the riverside. He remembered the earthquake. He remembered the conversation in prison with that warden and his family. He remembered all that stuff. And so many years later... 
different prison, another city. He was arrested again for preaching the gospel. As he's sitting in a cell, he gets another prompting. And that prompting, the Holy Spirit was directing him to write the letter to the church at Philippi. Thus, the book of Philippians that we have today. You know, Paul wrote more than half the New Testament. The book of Philippians, in my opinion, and I love Paul's writings, but the book of Philippians is Paul's warmest, most loving, most personal book that he ever wrote. And I think, you know, as I reflect on it, I think the reason why it's so warm is because he had fond memories. He remembered how that church got started. Now, I would challenge you to read the book of Philippians this week. It's an easy read. It's four chapters, 104 verses. Just, just take some time this week and read it. It's easy to read. You'll understand it, and you'll be more prepared for us uh, over the next few weeks. And what I'm going to do is focus on one life-changing verse each week. And something that, where we can take that verse and make it part of our life because, after all, there's an app for that. Now, here's our first verse. God is the one who began this good work in you, and I am certain that he will, won't stop before it is completed on the day that Jesus Christ returns. What's that mean? Friends, what God starts, God finishes. Think about that. What God starts, God finishes. I mean, God starts all kinds of stuff. He started this world. He starts human life. God is the author of all things. And Paul, Paul's reminding the church at Philippi, who started the church. Paul's saying, it wasn't me. It was God. You know, God's the one that changed my travel plans. God's the one that told me to get on the ship. God's the one that, that directed me to sit by the river. God's the one that got me talking with that woman. God's the one that had us sit in an open jail cell. And Paul's basically saying, I want to set the record straight. I want to set the record straight that I did not give birth to the church at Philippi. Paul says, God did. You know, he, he's pressing it. You know, I was thinking about five years ago. Faith Fellowship was born. And sometimes I hear conversation and it's like, I want to set the record straight. Because, yes, myself and a few leaders took steps, but friends, we did not give birth to the church. I mean, I want it to never be said that way. God started Faith Fellowship. Faith Fellowship was in the mind of God before it was in any of our minds. You know, God was the one that, that prompted a, a small group to give their lives to this. You know, God was the one that opened the door of the Davis home. God was the one that helped us know what we were to do, when we were to do it, and how we were to do it. And what I find interesting and equally as important as 
the fact that God starts, not only does God start, he finishes. He finishes. In other words, God never, never quits. God, it's not even in God's DNA to give up on something. And I think that has serious implications and applications for our lives. I mean, the fact is, husbands quit on wives, wives quit on husbands. You know, parents disown their kids. You know, kids blame their parents and check out on them. You know, close friends bail and walk. I believe, serious problem, especially in our country, that loyalty is at an all-time low. You know, I believe as human beings that we often start stuff that we fail to finish when, when the price gets too high. You know, when the going gets tough, what do we do? We just quit. And Paul is reminding the church at Philippi, and I believe he's reminding the church called Faith Fellowship. Paul's saying, take notice of this, church. Take notice of this. God is fundamentally different than anything you'll ever know. God is off the charts when it comes to loyalty. God will redefine it because whatever God starts, he what? Finishes. And the implication for the church, first of all, is huge. I mean, Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, he says, because God started the fellowship, you can count on the fact that God will sustain the fellowship. I mean, you, you may hit some tough, challenging situations. You may find that persecution levels go through the roof. You may hit some economically hard times. Leaders may fail you from time to time, but know this, the God who started the church never quits. God will sustain it to the very end. Paul's saying, you know what? People of Philippi, you may quit on God, but know this, God will never quit on you. All the way to the end, all the way through and through. I think it's the same for us at Faith Fellowship. Because God started, because God conceives, because God gave birth to, rest assured, God starts, he also what? Finishes. He finishes it. I mean, some of you, some of you, makes me sad, but some of you will quit on God. Leaders will come and go, but the God who starts finishes. Now, some of you have not been around here long enough to really appreciate what that really is saying. You know, because you kind of look around and you think, oh, things are pretty easy around here. Well, first of all, no, they're not. And we have had hard times. We've had times where we hit the wall, and I mean we hit it hard. We have faced difficult decisions and challenges through the years. We're facing some now. In fact, I believe when you do what God calls you to do that things are always difficult. And the God that gave birth, and here's what I know, the God that gave birth to this church, I have watched God come through over and over and over again. I have watched God change hearts. I have watched God renew our vision. I have watched God create new opportunities in this church. I have watched him lay new foundations, re-empower us, refocus us, and change us. 
And the fact is, again, those have been around for a while, we know the implication of this verse. It means that you can look to the future. It means that you can look to a future where God sustains, where God's got a plan. That's the implication for the church. I mean, what's the implication for individuals? I mean, what's the app here? Well, I think this verse says something very serious for those of you that are kind of starting your spiritual adventure, you know, investigating things, checking things out. And and the fact that if that's you today, I would say to you that, uh, you know, as you're checking things out in the faith, that whether you realize it or not, there's a reason you began the search. The reason you're here today is because God has begun a good work in you. I want you to think about that for a moment. There's 6.7 billion people on this planet, almost 6.8. The God that created the universe has arrived in your life and is starting to work. And God has a plan for your life. God plans on transforming you. Take that in for a minute. God is working in your life. I mean, God may have just started working, but friends, it's begun. And the work that God begins, he what? He finishes. Now, God wants you to respond to that. God wants you to cooperate with that so that he can do everything that he wants to do from from this point on throughout your entire life. And, And here's the key question is, will you cooperate with the work that God has already begun in your life? You know, if you're here today, I would encourage you to cooperate. So, so you can enjoy that, that transforming power so that God can begin to work in significant ways in your life. You know, the, the more you resist that, and I know some of you, you, you push back, the tougher the battle gets. Because here's what you need to understand. Because God has started working, he won't give up. I have found God to be tenacious. I mean, you can push back, but God just keeps on keeping on. And that's what I love about God. I mean, when God starts working, you know, someone starts searching, you know, looking for answers, God will keep attempting bit by bit, to gain access to your life because God wants to transform you, and he will never give up on that. You need to know that. You know, if you're seeking today, if you're trying to figure things out, it's okay. But can I encourage you to just raise the flag of surrender? You know, cooperate. Because get this, you will not wear down God. God will keep loving you. God will keep inviting you. God will keep prompting you. God will keep tugging at you. God will keep working at you. And you might quit on God, but God will not quit on you. 
And the God who has started will not give up until you give your life to him. Now, I was talking to a guy the other day, um, right before Christmas, that gave his life to Christ. And uh, he started kind of telling me his, his journey, sharing that journey with me. And uh, basically, he, he said, you know, at first, when God started working in my life, that, that he had resisted, kind of fought with, with God. And he said he spent 20 years fighting with God, doing his own thing. And uh, he talked about trashing relationships that vocationally, I think his word was it had been a nightmare in his life. And he kind of went through a laundry list of, of things. And then he said something very poignant. He said, you know, the dumbest thing I ever did was spend 20 years not letting God fully work in my life. Friends, don't make, don't make that mistake. When God begins to work in your life, God wants to work completely in your life. Cooperate with God. You know, and we're going to talk about how we do that in a, in a few minutes. But do that. Do that. So if you're a seeker, that's, that's the app. I mean, what's the implication? What's the app for those of us that are Christ followers? Well, well, first of all, I think the verse reminds us what God's doing. God's doing a good work. In fact, I would argue a very good work, a tremendously good, good work. What kind of work is he doing in your life? I was talking to a guy a while back. It's been a few months ago, but I was trying to point him to Christianity, to, to God. And I had been for quite some time. And finally, we were kind of in a conversation. And, and he said something to me. He said, well, if, if I were to take this step and become a Christian, would I have to act like one? And I'll be honest with you, I was caught a little bit off guard. And so I thought for a minute, and uh, I was like, well, you know, that'd be kind of the assumption that we would do that. And uh, he goes, that'd be a problem. And so I'm always asking questions, and so I go, well, could you explain that one for me? You know, I, I need to understand this. And he says, well... You know, I don't have very many Christians in my life, but the ones that I know, I don't want to be like that. And so I asked the logical question, and that is, what are they like? And he goes, well, they're judgmental, they're, they're rigid, they're narrow-minded, they're, they're not very happy. And, and I mean, he just went through a thing, and basically what he was saying is he didn't want to live like that. And so I talked to him about the fact that the, although God is doing a good work, sometimes, it's been my experience, that sometimes pastors, teachers, even churches do bad work in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes churches have the ability to turn joyful people into some of the saddest, most pessimistic people I've ever met. You know, that sometimes... 
ministries have a way of turning loving, tolerant people into the, you know, the referees for the human race, you know, that sometimes we have the ability to take freed up, forgiven people and turn them into guilt-ridden individuals, that we have the ability to take adventurous people and turn them into comfort zone people. And that's a shame. You know, Jesus, he, he kind of takes that on. He takes on the, the Pharisees uh, for performing bad work in people's lives. You can read, read about Matthew 23, but Jesus basically takes on the Pharisees and says, you know what, you're loading up these, these unsuspecting new believers, people that love God. You're loading them up with obligations to the point that you're breaking their backs. And he says, none of this stuff that you're doing has anything to do with me. You're wrecking people's lives. You're wrecking them in the name of God. And it basically just says, stop doing it. Stop doing the bad work. Stop, stop destroying people's hearts and lives. God, friends, is doing a good work, a wonderful work, a transforming work. That's what God does. And if we cooperate with that, well, the result is you become more loving. You become more joyful. You become more at peace in your life. In fact, Galatians tells us where we're heading. It says, God's spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. It's the fruits of the spirit there. I mean, that's the agenda. You know, that's the good work that God's trying to attempt in your life and mine. You know, I think one of the, the uh, benefits, having been in ministry for so long, is that I'm able to see God's good work in people's lives. I mean, not just for like six months or, or a couple years. I have seen it for decades now. You know, God transforming people and, and changing them. I, I've seen it around here. You know, I've seen people that have come to Faith Fellowship and don't stand up when I say this, Kind of stubborn. And because of God's good work, has transformed them into someone that is flexible and adaptable. I've seen people come to faith fellowship that were kind of self-righteous. You know, judging types. And because of God's good work, God has helped them to become more accepting as they have learned how to extend grace in their life. You know, I've watched people come here that were arrogant, and God has humbled them. I have watched people, and I've seen a lot of this, that have come in, and they are so self-absorbed. Me, 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 me. My way, my way, my way. My needs. And through God's good work, have become some of the most servant-minded folks I've ever seen in my life. I've seen God's good work. I've seen God take people that are filled with fear and turn them into courageous people, greedy people into generous people, dishonest people that have become truth tellers in their life. I've seen God's good work. Now, I was thinking about a friend of mine passed away this past year and um, I was kind of reflecting on the, the first time I met him. And I'll be honest with you, uh, he was kind of a train wreck when I met him. 
He had a reputation for being a hothead. I mean, off the charts. He had hurt a lot of people in his life. People kind of steered clear of him. He'd been alienated from his son for, for years. And God started working. God started working, and over the course of several years, it wasn't an easy process, but I watched God change him. And I, I remember a very key point in, in his life when he finally he took the risk, and he said he was going to call his son. They hadn't talked for years now. And so he came and talked to me because he said, I want to get this right. I don't know how to do this. And, and so we kind of talked through it. He made the call. His son agreed to, to meet him, and they had lunch. The next day, he called me. Do you got time for lunch? And I'm like, you bet. And so we got together, and he, he just started pouring his heart out. He was like, telling me how things went, that uh, at first the, the conversation was a bit strained, and then things began to go a little easier, and then he said, all of a sudden they're talking. And then he said the unresolved issues started surfacing. And I remember him telling me that as he sat there, he could feel the old tendencies rising up, that, that he, he was fighting it, you know, the old patterns of how he had dealt with his son in the past. And I, I remember him sharing that. And our scripture, this scripture, was the first thing that came into my mind. In fact, I, I believe as we were sitting there that day, I shared that. I said, you know what? God's doing a good work in you. Good work. Friends, I watched this guy. And he labored hard. But he started restoring his relationship with his kid. It wasn't perfect. Don't misunderstand me. But this guy changed. His friends knew it. Co-workers knew it. People at church knew it. But to me, the off-the-chart thing, his kid knew it. That's the good work of God. That's the good work God's trying to do in your life for the rest of our lives. You know, on a personal level, this scripture is important to me because, hold on to your seats, sometimes I mess up. (laughs) Uh. Sometimes I regress in my life. I wish I didn't, but I do. You know, sometimes I revert back to old patterns that grieve God. And friends, when I do, my first thought, okay, just my first thought is, I'll bet this one breaks the deal. Bet it's a deal breaker here. I bet this is the one. This is the one. And I get this image of God kind of throwing in the towel, saying, you know what, Damon, I am so done with you. You know, this back and forth and up and down and, yeah, I'm done. But friends, God's not like that. God hangs in there. And in fact, God just gets the blueprints back out and goes, okay, I see the transgression. I see the regression in your life. And it makes me sad. But I'm not quitting on you, Damon. Let's just keep at it. Let's just keep at it. There are times in my life, okay, just speaking for me, that the growth curve 
goes flat. There are times I get comfortable in the faith. And I don't want to be stretched, don't want to be challenged. But friends, God doesn't quit. God just keeps working. You know, God says, I began a good work in you, and I'm going to bring it to completion. I'm going to finish it. Some of you, some of you have got the idea that maybe if you just stay in one place spiritually, you know, kind of nest in, that God will settle down. That somehow you can kind of settle in and just stay there. Friends, this verse, serious implications here. God loves you too much to let you stay there. God sees your potential. God knows who you can become. God knows the growth that can happen. God knows the impact your life can have. And you know what? God's going to keep working. God's going to keep working. And here's the part that's sobering. Maybe it's the bad news. God is not going to let it go. God's not going to let it go, whatever that is in your life. God is going to keep working at it, even if you're not. You know, it's like, have you ever wronged someone? I mean, when I do something wrong, in my mind, I think, oh, no big deal. And so the next day, when I'm trying to pray or I'm sitting at my desk trying to work or I'm eating dinner or watching a ball game, whatever. God, like, keeps bringing it up. You know, I keep seeing that, that person's face. Uh, and so God kind of through the Holy Spirit says, come on, Damon. I'm not getting a pass on this one. Damon, pick up the phone, give him a call, and meet with him. Damon, I'm not letting this go. You might as well get on with it. I'm not going to get a pass on this one. That's how it goes. I mean, you may be mistreating your body, mismanaging your money, misrepresenting the truth in your life. You may jump into the abyss of life, but this verse is absolutely clear that the God who started working in you, started this good work, is not going to let you off the hook, is going to keep working at it, is going to keep lifting you higher and higher. God just loves you too much. That's just a fact. Now, I'm going to get really personal here. I mean, some of you, some of you are stepping over the lines in your life. You are playing it loose with, with ethics in, at work, or you're not being truthful with someone about something. You know, some of you are abusing your, your body or your mind in some way. You know, some of you are sleeping in the wrong bed or, you know, crossing sexual boundaries in your life. Some of you are living materialistically. You know, you're so self-absorbed, it's nauseating. Some of you, in fact, too many, have decided you're just going to spiritually stagnate. 
not going to use your giftedness because oh, last time you did, you got hurt. You know, some of you have decided, you know what, I'm just going to blend into culture. And here's what I want you to know because of this app. Do not think for one moment that God will let it go. Do not think that God will let it go. God is not going to go, well, okay, they're not going to work on it. I'll go work on something else. God won't do that. God won't. The fact is, the work that God started in your life, God is going to complete. God is going to keep at it till you get square with it, till you deal with it. And from a personal experience, I can tell you you're absolutely outgunned. You will lose. Because I have lost many times. God finishes what he starts. God is merciless with this. Relentless with this. He will continue to bring it to your attention. He will point you the direction that you need to go. He will show you the changes you need to make to get back on track in your life. You get two choices. You can keep duking it out with God, fighting, resisting, resisting that good work that God's trying to do. And I'll tell you, it's not a lot of fun. Or you can raise the flag of surrender and say, you know what, forgive me, God. I've got to deal with this. It's time. I'll cooperate the best I know how. And I'll tell you, if you're a Christ follower already, this is a tough place to be. Because the fact is you can't fully enjoy sin anymore. You just can't. But you also can't fully enjoy God unless you are completely yielded to God. That's why some of you are so miserable. I mean, you're a Christian, but you go, I'm just miserable. Well, it's because you've never completely yielded to God. It's a tough position that requires a choice. You've got to make a decision. You want to find the best, the very, very best in life, the best that life has to offer? There's an app for that. When we fully cooperate with the good work, that God's doing in your life. Let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Let's read this together. God is the one who began this good work in you, and I am certain that he won't stop before it is completed on the day that Christ Jesus returns. God, we thank you. What you've started, you'll finish. God, I pray that in that process that we'd honor you. That we'd cooperate. Those times when we fail that we'd seek your forgiveness and that we'd forgive ourselves. God, I thank you for the promise 
that what you've started, you'll finish. Look forward to that day when we finish this life and can look back. Know that you were true to your word. Long to hear those words, well done, faithful servant. God, use us. May everything that we say and do be pleasing in your sight. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.